What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Lay it on me, Brett. What are we looking at? So, you can see that Devin's phone first pings at the 833 Tyler Road at 11.06. And that's the last tower it ever pings at, right? That's it. After that, it stays put right there at Paddy's house. Okay. What about Isaac? Isaac's phone pings off the 833 Tyler Road Tower at the same time as Devin at 11.06. And how long does it stay at that tower? There's just two pings, 11.06 and 11.08 p.m. Does his phone ever ping the Tyler Road Tower again that night? Nope. Nothing? Not at all? Nope. No pings. There's no pings at Tyler Road, not even any pings at the 062 Tower downtown until late the following day. So you're saying... Isaac never went back to Devin's house that night. He did not go back to Devin's house that night. Okay. Are you disappointed? A little bit, yeah. (laughs) Wait till you see where he did go. What do you mean by that? Am I seeing what I think I'm seeing? Depends on what you're seeing. Can we go through these one by one? Sure. So, at 11.08, we're at the 833 Tyler Road Tower. Right. Then, 11.12, his phone pings the downtown Emmett Tower number 06-2. Then, at 11.39, it pings off the Verizon Tower 3LP in Horseshoe Bend. Which is about, what, 20-25 miles northeast of Emmett? About, yeah. Okay. So he's traveling west on Highway 52, which is the exact road that Devin had to take to get to Boiling Springs, right? That is true. Next ping comes in at 12.13 a.m. at a tower operated by New Singular Wireless, right outside a little town on Highway 55 called High Valley. So Isaac gets into Horseshoe Bend and goes north on Highway 55. So is this tower before or after Banks-Lowman Road, which leads to Boiling Springs? The tower is several miles north of the turnoff for Banks-Lowman Road, but there's a catch. Out here in the mountains, there's only two cell phone towers for about 40 miles in any direction. The Horseshoe Bend Tower and the High Valley Tower, so the data gets less and less accurate. So you're saying we can't pinpoint exactly where Isaac was that night? No, just that he was in a 40-mile area between Horseshoe Bend, Loman, and Cascade. Which includes Boiling Springs and the road where Devin's car was found. Yeah, exactly. So at this point, we can definitely say that Isaac was in the area where Devin's car was found that night. At this point, we can confirm that, yes. So to reiterate, Isaac released this information to you before Devin's car was found. Yeah, and he's been dodging me ever since. I I can't get an interview, can't get a call answered. Yeah, last time I called him, he changed his number, actually. Doesn't surprise me. Can I tell you what I'm thinking? Sure. Okay, hear me out. I'm thinking Isaac made plans with Devin to meet up at the Hot Springs. It explains why she had the swimsuit in her car, it explains why Isaac was in the area, and it could even explain why she left her phone at home, because there really isn't a reason to bring it up there. There's not great service. Okay. And, uh, well, Devin's car gets stuck in the snow. She gets into Isaac's car, and then he kills her. Disposes of her body. Somewhere. You got all that from a ping in a swimsuit? investigative podcast looking into the disappearance of Devin Riesling, a 23-year-old nursing student who disappeared on February 9th, 2019.
On our last episode, we looked into the hours before Devin disappeared. Her car, which was found abandoned on the road to Boiling Springs, and her and her boyfriend Isaac's cell phone pings, which put him in the Boiling Springs area the night of her disappearance. Okay, so maybe I needed a bit more evidence before I jumped to conclusions, but at this point, with confirmation that Isaac was in the immediate area where Devin's car was later found, he is suspect number one as far as I'm concerned. So I did a little digging into Isaac's background. Isaac and Devin first got together in high school, but they broke up when Devin moved away. Isaac moved to Boise and was going to Boise State for like accounting or finance or something, and he had just graduated when Devin moved home. And where was he living at that time? Uh, I believe he moved back in with his parents. I guess he was having some money problems, but he did have an, a, an internship at an accounting firm. Oh, okay. And what, what can you tell me about his family? He had a big family. Big, very Christian, very traditional family. They actually own a farm just outside of Emmett. All right. Do you know anything about his siblings? I think I think he has like four or five brothers and sisters. I don't know them all, but Isaac is the youngest. His oldest brother went to school with Devin's brother, TJ, and he was a troublemaker. He was a pretty violent guy. That's interesting. What about Isaac? Did he ever get into trouble? Not that I know of, no. My producer and I, Jessica, did a little bit of digging into Isaac's background. Here's Jessica summarizing what we found. Isaac Miller currently lives in a detached garage apartment on his parents' property. His parents own a 60-acre farm outside Emmett, and they're pretty active in the local Baptist church. Isaac is the youngest of six, with three sisters and two brothers. All but one of his siblings still live in Emmett, and many of them still work on the farm. But Isaac doesn't appear to be employed in farm work anymore. Isaac's background check came back clean, no arrests, or even a parking ticket. Finding out information about him was going to be harder than we thought. Luckily for us, a call that came into the tip line gave us a place to start. Since our first episode, the number of calls coming into the tip line has increased dramatically. In the entire year after Devin went missing before this podcast came out, there were only three calls into the tip line, all of them from people who had seen Devin around town the day she disappeared none of them giving any new information about her movements that day or since. But the podcast seems to be doing the exact thing that Brett and I hoped for. Bring some visibility to Devin's case, remind people that she's still missing, and hopefully put some pressure on people who may have seen something suspicious that day to come forward. I'll admit that most of these calls are... less than helpful. Like this one we received just one day after the first episode was released. They're wasting their fucking time. I mean, what a joke. You're not even real investigators. Just some douchebag with a voice recorder. If she wants to go missing, I can't let her. Because I've got some news for you. She obviously doesn't want to be found. So just leave her alone. As you can tell, not everyone in Emmett was happy to hear that their little town was in the media. Especially for a terrible crime that doesn't exactly paint Emmett as the best place to live. But fortunately, for us, some information would come into the tip line that would give us a new lead in Devin's case. You've reached the tip line for the Dead of the Night podcast. Leave your message after the beep. Hey, this is Um, I saw something you all might want to know. I saw Isaac, that girl's uh, boyfriend, out washing his car, I want to say around Sunday, February 10th. 
uh, you're scrubbing, vacuuming, getting that car real deep clean, you know? And you know, my number is 208. Y'all want to call me back. Since they left a phone number, we were able to follow up with this witness for more information. But at their request, I've censored identifying information. So to start off, can you tell me what you saw? Yeah, I work at the car wash over on Street. I was working that Sunday, February 10th. I saw Devin's boyfriend coming to the car wash that day. Do you remember what time it was? It was right at 8 a.m. That's why I remember it. It was right when we opened. And did you know who he was when you saw him? I did. Uh, I know Isaac from the football team. I recognized him right away. And he was cleaning his car? Yeah, real deep clean on his car. Just the outside or the inside as well? It was all of it. Uh, he got done with the ter- interior. Uh, I saw him go to the wet vacuum, started shampooing the floor mats and everything. Can you confirm what kind of car Isaac was driving? It's a red truck, the Forerunner? Yeah, that's Isaac's car. Did you happen to see anything in the back of his car, like any garbage or anything bulky? No, dude, I don't remember seeing anything. Was he with anyone? He was alone. Okay. Was there anything else you remember about it? Uh, that's really it, man. I just remember I found out about Devin. I remember seeing him that next day. I just thought it was weird and all. I had to tell somebody. So, the day after Devin goes missing, Isaac is not only in the area where her car would later be found, but he's seen washing his car the next day. Unfortunately, there are no cameras at the car wash, so we only have this witness's testimony. Still, the evidence against Isaac is mounting, to say the least, which makes it even more frustrating that the Emmett police refuse to investigate Devin's disappearance or look into Isaac as a potential suspect. How do you deal with the frustration of knowing that evidence could be disappearing each day that the police aren't investigating this case? You just keep looking for that one bit of information, that one lead that will open up the case and make the police take this seriously. I felt like this information about Isaac was a pretty good lead, though. There's nothing concrete about it, though. You've got a boyfriend within a 40-mile area of forest where Devin's car is abandoned, and the next day he's seen washing his car. Unfortunately, that's just not enough yet. What do you think the next steps are in finding more about Isaac's connection to this case are, then? Right now, I'm waiting to hear back about the data from Devin's cell phone. We have the location history, but as far as the actual content, like pictures, text messages, call history, Devin's cell phone was water damaged while in Patty's possession, so I've sent the phone to a digital forensics company to extract the data, and when we get that information back, we can hopefully find out more. Okay, okay. So... Say, like if Isaac and Devin had texted about meeting at Boiling Springs, for example. Yeah, exactly. Are there any other leads that could be chased down in the meantime? Well, there's always the white van. I haven't really had time to fully examine that lead. Are you talking about the white van that Patty mentioned in her 911 call? Yeah, she's spoken about the white van on more than one occasion, so confirming if this van even exists and if Devin was being followed by someone would be a pretty huge break in the case. Patty unfortunately passed away from end-stage liver disease on October 7th, 2019. Tragically, Patty died not knowing what happened to her daughter, or even if Devin was alive or dead, having never gotten closure. 
Brett conducted several recorded interviews with Patty in the months following Devin's disappearance, but her mental state declined rapidly. Without Devin to care for her, Patty was moved to a hospice care center in her final days, and her interviews became less and less comprehensible. However, one thread that always remained in her interviews was her insistence that Devin was being stalked by someone driving a white delivery van. Patty, Patty, can you try to focus on me for a moment? Who are you again? Are, are you the doctor? No, Patty. I'm Brett Nelson, I'm a private investigator. Your son today hired me to help find your daughter. Devin? Yes, Devin. Where is she? Well, we don't know, Patty. That's what I'm trying to find out. Do you have any idea where Devin might be? Well, she's at school. Patty, Devin left school so she could take care of you. Yeah, I know. Do you know of anyone who might want to hurt Devin? Well, her daddy hurt her. Ricky? Yeah. How did he hurt Devin? By getting locked up. Never being there. You know that Ricky is still in prison, yes? Yeah, I know. Can you think of anyone else that would want to hurt Devin? Oh, I, I don't know. What did you think about Isaac? He's a funny boy. There's something funny about him. How so? Oh, I don't know. He's just different. Do you think that Isaac did something bad to Devin? Did something bad happen to Devin? Devin is missing, Patty. Oh, no! No, no! Patty! No! It was the man who followed her around, wasn't it? The man following Devin? In a van! Did you know the name of the person in the van? I told her to be careful. But she's stubborn. She's a stubborn girl. Did you see the van after Devin went missing? Devin is, is missing? What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. As you can see, it was difficult getting any tangible information from Patty, and unfortunately, it became harder and harder as the months went on. I decided to ask around, see if Devin's friend Maxine had seen this van or heard anything about it. Did I know if Devin was being followed by someone in a van? Yeah, like a white delivery van. <laughs> no, I would remember if Devin had said anything about that. I don't remember ever seeing any suspicious cars or anything. Hmm... Have you ever heard anything from anyone else about a suspicious van? Well, I mean, there's rumors all over Facebook. Huh, really? Uh, are you willing to show me? Maxine opens up her Facebook and clicks on a public group called Emmett Buy and Sell. The group is mostly full of people posting slightly worn bejeweled cowboy boots and children's toys, but it's also a place for rumors and local chatter to circulate. She navigates to a post from just last week. The post is actually a screenshot from another post, originally written by a woman named Renee Leon. Beware. The white vans are used by sex traffickers. They are rigged to lock from the outside, so once you are in the van, you can't get out. Ladies, if you are walking to your car and see this van pulled up next to you, do not go to your car. There are reports of a suspicious white van luring girls at Blazer Park. Travel in groups of two and warn, and warn your daughters, sisters, and friends. Oh, okay. Um, I think I've seen posts like this before. Yeah, they're all over the place. Uh, so, what do you think of them? 
I mean, I think it's just a rumor. If Patty was talking about this stuff, there's a good chance she saw these Facebook posts and just became paranoid. People really believe this stuff and let it scare them. Okay, so you think she didn't actually see a white van, she just saw some of these Facebook rumors and either got confused or paranoid. Yeah, unfortunately I do think that. I mean, Patty was the kind of person who would read something on Facebook and take it as the gospel truth. After a bit more digging, we found that these white van rumors were not just a local phenomenon. Rumors of a white van kidnapping women into sex trafficking have been spreading through Facebook pages in Houston, Cleveland, Baltimore, and Atlanta. It's not too much of a stretch to wonder if Patty read a post about these white vans on Facebook and became paranoid or confused until she believed it was true. We wanted to find out more about the specific rumors that were going around Emmett regarding these white vans, so I asked a few people around town. Yeah, I heard about that. I heard my girlfriend and her friends talk about it. They just said, you know, walk with your keys in your hand because there's been a van snatching girls. It just seemed like one of those things, you know? One of those rumors that goes around. It's just fear, dude. There's nothing to it. Just fear. Emmett Police Department. Hey, um, I was wondering if there have been any reports of a suspicious white van. Like, if there have been any known abductions involving white vans or kidnappings. Are you referring to the posts going around social media? Uh, well, yeah, I've seen the posts. Those are just rumors, ma'am. There have been no kidnappings, no abductions, so you can rest easy. Okay, thank you very much. At this point, it was becoming clear that this suspicious white van was likely nothing more than a bit of fake news titillating a small town. We also looked into the rumors around white van kidnappings in Cascade, Twin Falls, and even Boise, but I haven't found any reports of this happening anywhere in Idaho. This was starting to feel like just another dead end. Okay, what haven't we looked at? Okay, I can think of two things. Alright, go for it. We could look into landowners around the area where Devin's car was found. That is not a bad idea. I could do a landowner search and maybe we could come up with some interviews. And we can stake out Isaac. Ooh, stake him out? You mean like, follow him around like creeps? Come on, it's detective work. Hasn't Brent done a stakeout? I don't think so. I mean, I know he has a bunch of other cases, so he can't exactly put 100% of his effort into Devin's. Well, it's a good thing we've got plenty of time. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I just, I feel weird about it. I mean, fuck, come on, you're gonna let that stop you? It should be at the end of this road. Okay. We're on the outskirts of Emmett, driving down a street with orchards on every side. At the end of the road, we pull up outside the Miller family farm. At 40 acres, it's the largest farm in the area, primarily full of apple and cherry orchards, but also with a few acres of what I think are onions. The house is a large two-story craftsman with several detached garages, at least one that appears to have an apartment above it. We've heard from friends of Devon that after graduating from the accounting program at Boise State University, Isaac moved into this apartment over the garage on his parents' farm. After three hours of waiting, several Queen albums, an entire 64-ounce soda, Isaac finally came home. 
parked his forerunner in the driveway, and went into the apartment. I was starting to doubt if this stakeout was actually accomplishing anything. Oh shit, here he comes, here he comes! Oh jeez, get down so he doesn't see us. He's just going inside. I mean, I don't know what else we expected him to do. Drag a dead body out of his car or something? Well, I don't know. Maybe he's hiding something about his life. Like, he's a fan of Arctic Circle? I don't know. Maybe he's a drug dealer or something. A drug dealer with a prestigious accounting internship? You never know people. After that extra-large soda ran through me, we decided it would be best if we broke the time up into shifts. We spent the next seven days watching Isaac in 12-hour shifts. Most of what he did was pretty boring. At 7.30 each morning, he'd get into his car and drive to an accounting firm in the nearby city of Meridian. He'd stop for coffee, work 8 or 10 hours a day, then usually hit a drive through on his way home. Once home, he'd usually stay home, occasionally going into the main house for a few hours. However, on day 6 of our stakeout, which was a Sunday, Jessica did see something notable. It's 8.40am, and I'm here outside of the Miller family farm, and I kid you not... A fucking white van just pulled up outside. It's pulling into the driveway. Oh shit, okay. I don't think he saw me. Okay. I'm writing down the license plate and someone is getting out of the van. Okay, they're tall. I'm gonna guess about 200 pounds. They've got a shaved head. Oh, everyone is coming outside. I think by their clothing they might all be going to church. I'm actually gonna drive over here. I don't want to trespass, but I just want to see the other side of the van. It looks like there's something written there. It says Miller Plumbing Company. Okay, I'm I'm just going to keep driving now so I don't look like a total creep. When I heard what Jessica found at the Miller family farm that day, I was in shock. We found out that it was Isaac's oldest brother, John, the one who went to high school with TJ, who drove the white van and operated the Miller Plumbing Company. A background search on John Miller showed charges for felony domestic violence battery with traumatic injury, a misdemeanor assault charge, and a couple of minor traffic and trespassing citations. Was it possible that John Miller was involved in the disappearance of Devon? The more I learned about Isaac and his connections, the more confident I was starting to feel about his connection to this crime. But the evidence for Isaac and John's involvement was still fairly flimsy and circumstantial. For one, if Isaac or John or both of them hurt or killed Devon, where was her body now? How were they able to avoid suspicion? There's a question that has been burning in my mind ever since I learned about the cell tower pings placing Isaac near Devon's abandoned car the night of her disappearance. What was his motive? Why would a popular, attractive guy from a close-knit, Jesus-loving farming family, well on his way to being an accountant, want to get rid of his high school sweetheart just four months after reuniting with her? Did he snap in a moment of anger during a fight, or was this a premeditated plan to get her out of his way? I was dying for answers, for some semblance of a motive to explain what would drive someone to such a violent act. And then Kenneth got a phone call from Beecher, one of his closest friends from college, who lives in Boise. What's up? You said you had something to, uh, about the case to tell me? Yeah, dude, you're not gonna believe this. So, I was scrolling through Grinder the other day, and you'll never fucking believe who I saw. Okay, who? Tell me. That fucking boyfriend of the missing girl, what's his name? Isaac? Isaac, yeah, that's him. Are you sure that's him? 
I'll send you a screenshot, man. Isaac is on Grinder. So Isaac is gay. Don't know why else you'd be on Grinder, dude. For those who don't know, Grinder is a dating app for gay men. Beecher sent me a screenshot of what he saw, and it's undeniably a picture of Isaac Miller, smiling with his square jaw and curly brown hair. Under his username, Button Cruncher, is his age, 24, and a bio that reads, Farm boy, trying to make it in the big city. The most disturbing part of the picture is what's not in it. The fact that his arm is around someone who's been cropped out of the picture. Someone wearing an ugly Christmas dress covered in red poinsettias. That's it for this episode of Dead of the Night Podcast. Thank you for listening, and if you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave a review. And of course, if you have any information about Devin Riesling, please call 208-398-3110. This episode was produced by Gina Harris, Spencer Hudson, and Danielle Choda. Jessica O'Neill is our audio engineer. I'm Kenneth Bailey, asking once again, have you seen Devin Riesling? What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.